Okay, let's look at our scripture that can be found on page four of the bulletin as we continue our sermon series on the kingdom of God. This is the parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you struggle at all with recurring dreams that every now and then pop up into your subconscious. Perhaps the recurring dream of being back in school and getting on a school bus and wearing no clothes. I don't know if that plagues you. If not, it says a lot about me and my tortured psyche. That is exactly why I married a therapist. But I'm talking about another dream. And it's the dream where you walk into class and the teacher says, okay, we are ready to start this test. And of course, you didn't know there was a test, did you? You haven't studied for the test. You frantically try to figure out a way to get out of the classroom, but it's too late. And so you sit, and there's those dreaded words, now turn over your papers, and the test begins. I think the reason we hate a dream like that is nobody wants to be unprepared. Nobody wants to be put on the spot. And this parable is about readiness. It's about the test that is to come. This parable should serve uh, as two things for us. One, an encouragement. The reality and the truth is the bridegroom is coming back. And there will be a celebration. Jesus Christ has gone into heaven to prepare a place for us. And he will come back to bring us to himself. But it also serves as a warning as it says in the end, for you also must watch, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So we have two different groups of people here, the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. And as we go through this parable, you will see three specific themes that I want to touch on. The first is surprise. That at the coming of the bridegroom, they were all surprised that the day came upon them like a thief in the night. Number two, reveal that this day served to show who was in what camp. There was no way that you could get around it. The papers were turned over and the test began. And finally, number three, divide. That ultimately these two groups started out together, but they ended apart. The lesson of this parable, this story, if you will, can be boiled down to one point. Because Jesus is faithful, 
Jesus' faithfulness demands our watchfulness. Because we do not know when that day will come, we must be ready every day. So let's begin with point number one, surprise. Jesus begins the parable with verse one, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now a little bit about Middle Eastern, uh, ancient Middle Eastern weddings. It really was about the bridegroom and not about the bride. The way the situation, I wonder how that happens. You know, I felt a little bit like an ornament during my wedding, like the penguin who was up there, right? Well, it's all about the bridegroom because the way the wedding begins is that the bridegroom who has been fixing up a house or, uh, you know, a place adding on to the family house goes to the bride's house. And he goes to take the bride, if you will, and puts the bride on a donkey. And there's this celebration, this, this rabble of people that begin walking through the streets as they bring this parade back. And so the word goes out, the wedding is going to begin, and everybody gathers at the bridegroom's house as the bridegroom is out, and they're waiting ex uh, expectantly for the cry to come out, here is the bridegroom, and the feast will begin. Well, weddings always take place uh, in summer, in the seven months of summer uh, in Israel, where there would be no rain. Uh, and so people would be, there would be throngs around the house. There would be people in the house, there would be people outside the house waiting. And Jesus tells the story about these ten women. Now, it's actually a validation of women. Uh, the, the Jews had all of these rules and laws regarding uh, proper etiquette, and one of them was you needed to have ten men in order to have an official wedding. Why that is a rule, I have no idea. But in this story, Jesus tells of ten women, as if to say, these are the women that validated, this, this is the ten. And so, needless to say, these women gather and the story tells us that five were foolish and five were wise. The foolish took lamps, but no oil, no extra oil. And the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, why would women bring lamps? Well, there are a couple of reasons. By the way, this is an example of a lamp that I got in Nazareth right here. It's a, it's a smaller one, but some of them might be using something that looks, looks exactly like this. The first reason they would bring lamps is for their safety. If you look at cities, like if you've ever been in the old town uh, of Israel, the, the cities are pretty compact. And so they're, they're lighted, if you will, for their protection, and they can shout out. And the second reason is for their reputation. A woman should not be caught walking around in the dark. What is it that she's doing? And so they all would have brought lamps to light their way, if you will. And so they come and they wait and darkness falls. And it says that the bridegroom was delayed. Now this parade, as this rabble, as they go and they get the bride and put her on the donkey, they take a long circuitous route through the city. And the reason is because they want the whole city to celebrate with them. And so they're going around and, and the crowd's cheering and everybody's looking out and they know exactly what's going on. And so there really is... Uh, schedule is a little bit different in the Middle East. The wedding does not start at 6 p.m. The wedding starts when the bridegroom gets back. And so the bridegroom is delayed as such things happen. And so they all became drowsy and slept. See, one can only stay festive for so long, right? 
you're waiting, you're excited, and so on and so on, but where's the bridegroom? And everybody, you know, kind of, they recognize this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Weddings would last for days in Israel, in ancient Israel. And so they became drowsy, and they set down their lamps on windowsills and other places where they burned. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. It was like a surprise. They were all, if you've ever had this happen, where you're sort of fading, you know, you're watching a basketball game or something, and you've faded, and then it comes down to the last shot, and everybody erupts around you, and you're startled uh, out of your lethargy. It's inevitable when you think about it. Obviously, the bridegroom was going to come back with the bride at some time. And yet, because they did not know that time, all were surprised when he came. The five foolish women, the five wise women. What Jesus is communicating is that the arrival of the kingdom of God on planet Earth is unknown. In other places, Jesus tells us that, that the kingdom of God will come like a thief in the night and that nobody knows the day. The angels don't know the day. Anyone on heaven, uh, anyone on earth does not know the day. It's inevitable, and yet it's a surprise. Jesus, in many ways, is rebuking the people at that time as he's telling the story. Because here stands the king of kings with his first entrance onto planet earth to save the world, and yet so few recognized his coming, right? The shepherds recognized, but the Pharisees didn't. The wise men recognized, but the Sadducees didn't. The shepherds and Anna and Simeon, but your average common folk, did not recognize what was among them, who was among them. And so he's rebuking them, and he's saying the exact same thing is going to happen, but the difference is, when the Son of Man comes the second time, everybody will know. Both groups of people knew at that time. There was no question. The bridegroom has come. You couldn't get away from it. The papers were turned, so to speak. Now, we should take some lessons from what Jesus is saying. The first is that what we are looking for is not here. You see, these women came for the wedding. They came for the consummation of this love, this relationship. And they wouldn't be ultimately satisfied until it occurred. And in the same way, what we are looking for cannot be found on planet Earth. We cannot rest in complete contentment. We cannot rest in complete peace because the bridegroom has not yet arrived. We can try to make the kingdom of God uh, here. We can try to build our own castle, our own kingdom, but the reality is until the bridegroom comes, the full celebration cannot begin. And so these five women who were wise were prepared to be surprised. They, if you will, had their focus on the coming of the bridegroom. But the other five did not manage their priorities very well, did they? They became distracted. They started thinking about other things. They hadn't really planned to make the bridegroom the center of their day, the center of their life. 
The five wise women did. They had one eye on the present, but one eye on his coming. They had arranged their life, if you will, around the coming of the bridegroom. Because in the end, it's all about the bridegroom. It's all about Christ. We can only celebrate so much in this world without the bridegroom and the bride coming together. We can only celebrate so much without Christ being here to consummate all things, to make all news good news. The point Jesus is trying to make is that there is nothing casual about Christianity. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him pick up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would lose, save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. Jesus said in the same way, anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. There were five who were ready and waiting, and there were five who were not. I don't know if anyone knows the name Dr. Howard Griffith. Do you? If anyone knows that name, raise your hand. One, you should know that name because Howard Griffith was my systematics, uh, systematic theology professor at RTS. Much of what I have taught you came from this man named Howard Griffith. And Howard Griffith passed into glory this week. My professor and my mentor has gone on to be with the Lord after a short bout with cancer. Howard loved the scriptures. He loved to talk about Jesus and the coming of the kingdom of God. I'm sure there was a bit of surprise when Howard went for his routine medical checkup and then got a call from the doctor. We have an issue. We have a problem. And as things played themselves out, ultimately it was time for Howard to go home. Howard's family is in mourning and the RTS community is in mourning. I am in mourning for my dear mentor Howard. But I can tell you that Howard is not in mourning because Howard kept his lamp lit and Howard had his flask of oil. Howard was looking for the coming of the kingdom of God. And he was, I'm sure, surprised when it was his time to go when he got that message. But he was also expectant because he had arranged his life around meeting Jesus Christ. Howard at least had the time to prepare his house. He passed naturally in death. But Jesus is not talking about us dying in the interim. He's talking about him coming back. And nobody knows the hour. It could be 50 years from now. It could be five minutes from now. We simply don't know. We are living in between. And so have you made peace with that? Have you arranged your life in such a way for the coming of the king? Or have you succumbed to the siren song of the world that says, come and be distracted. There's much to do and much to see. And to be sure there is for both parties, the five foolish and the five wise. But the five wise always kept their eye on the coming of the king. 
Because the oil is the oil of perseverance. It's continuing to stay the course, to focus on what's important, to keep the main thing the main thing. And so I challenge you and challenge me. We must radically realign our lives around the coming of the King. So what's getting in your way? What's separating you from Jesus? Is it the things that you own? Is it a troublesome relationship that you're in that you need to fix because it's distracting you? It's impeding you? Is it the lure of the world? Is it what you're reading? Is it what you're seeing? See, the only way to be ready for that day is to be ready every day. For it will be a surprise. This brings me to my second point, that there is a reveal or an expose. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Now the wondrous thing about this is that it was meant, that cry, it was meant to be a celebration. The coming of the king is meant to be a celebration. We are meant to look forward in anticipation and enjoyment for the banquet that will begin when Jesus Christ comes for his bride. Then all those virgins rose, verse 7, and trimmed their lamps. And this is the way it would work, that as the lamp there was a wick that would burn and there was a metal piece, and as the wick would burn it would char. And so to trim would mean to take off the charred portion to pull out more wick and then to take your oil and to refill it. And the foolish said to the wise, uh-oh, we're out, it's been running down. Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. See, they needed that light in order to see to go into the door. They can't see what's going on. But the other women, the wise women, said, no, we won't have enough if we give you. Does it seem selfish to you? I think it seems focused. They're focused on the bridegroom. Now here's what's interesting. Up until that point, both groups seemed the same. Couldn't tell the difference between them. It's only when the bridegroom came that you could tell. The response of the five wise women was to seek the Lord and to follow after him. But the response of the foolish was to go and to try to borrow at that time. And what this shows us is that commitment and the discipleship that follows can neither be loaned or borrowed. You cannot find faith from somewhere or someone else, from your parents, from your church, from your boyfriend, or from your girlfriend. No, it's a personal, individual thing. It's either there or it isn't. And while they were going to buy, and so the, there's a scurrying while these fo five foolish women go off to try to buy oil from the dealers. Notice the bridegroom hasn't come around the corner yet, has he? For it says, as they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. So the five scamper off, and the five who are waiting, looking, see him come around the corner. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. 
And when the crucial time was upon them, the five foolish virgins were not there. They were there the whole time until it counted. See, this isn't a story about people who are antagonistic or apathetic to Christianity. It's actually a story about people that sit in the pews day after day with people who are believers, but they are not. The faith hasn't penetrated from their hands into their hearts. The time when it mattered most, they were not there. So this should teach each and every one of us that it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Do you keep going? It doesn't matter who Jesus was to you when you were sitting on the dock at Young Life Camp at age 18. It matters who Jesus Christ is to you today, right now. Do I still follow him? Do I still trust in him today, even right now? These are some of the scariest words in the New Testament. And they who already went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. There is a time when the door will be shut. I think of that time in the days of Noah. After 120 years of building, as Noah cried out to people what was coming, that the Lord lo loaded all the animals and Noah and his sons and his daughter-in-laws into the ark and the door was shut. Now, when I read this scripture, there's an element, if you will, of fear in me. Who then can be saved? as the disciples said. But you see, ultimately, the focus is not on the works of the people. The focus is on what their trust was in, that this oil might be the oil of perseverance, but it's also the oil of grace. It's Jesus' perseverance which will allow us to persevere. I do not put my hope and trust in myself, and neither should you. Our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. The five wise virgins, the oil in their flasks was Christ alone. Because Jesus demonstrated to us first what it means to persevere, right? It took 33 years to live this perfect life. Jesus was not recognized when he came. His rule was not recognized. He was undermined at every point by the religious leaders of the day. He was tortured, he was mocked, he was flogged, and he was crucified. And yet he was faithful to the end. And he finished the race marked out for him. We know the way because Jesus is the way. That this race is to be certain if we place our hopes wholeheartedly, not on ourselves, but on Jesus Christ. And in the end, it is on that day when the thoughts of all men's hearts will be revealed. I don't know if you've uh, been following this uh, college scandal that's been going on, Operation Varsity Blues, I think, as the FBI called it. 
where they, they caught uh, 50 different high-profile, high-net-worth people who were involved in these different scandals of finding ways to get their kids in college, whether through uh, doctoring SAT scores or by them masquerading as athletes. And of course, the ones that have gotten the most press are uh, Felicity Huffman, uh, who was involved with that uh, powerful and moral show, Desperate Housewives, as well as Full House, Lori Laughlin, I think is her name. Uh, Lori Laughlin, I, I, I find it very interesting, particularly Lori Laughlin, who was, uh, what was her character? Aunt Becky on Full House. And uh, Lori Laughlin, and, and you know, you look at, uh, you know, very all-American girl, and, and uh, her children both, they, she, I think, paid 500000 to get them into uh, USC, where they were having a wonderful time in USC, by the way. In fact, their daughter was on uh, the yacht of one of the trustees of USC when the story broke. Everything was looking perfect in their life, if you will. Perfect, uh, perfect person, perfect kids, in a perfect school, and everything is going wonderful. Until that day when the story broke. And their whole life has fallen down around them. The, uh, the shows that she was involved in, the product sponsorships that she and her daughter were involved in, everybody has abandoned her. This story has exposed the ugliness. Uh, it was uh, Julia Roberts who wrote a, a little note or something that she was so sad that her mother did not believe in her daughters enough. Now whether that's true or not, I, I don't know, but believe in them enough for them to go where they were supposed to go or to get in on their own efforts. See, there was two days. On one day, everything was perfect, and on the second day, everything was a mess. It was exposed for what it was, a lie and a fraud. And Jesus is encouraging us and warning us. He's saying to you and me, you cannot borrow on that day your spouse's faith, your brother's faith, your friend's faith. For that day will reveal the secrets of our heart. And so do you know, do you have a bedrock confidence that my trust is in Jesus Christ? The scriptures never tell us to doubt our salvation, but they do tell us to examine our salvation. Have I put my hope in him that on that day I shall not be ashamed? For it is through his cross that I shall be saved, nothing else. There's one thing in life when you think about it that I have to be certain of. One thing alone. Let my life function as a barometer. Let the outside, the way that I live, demonstrate to me who I am on the inside. I want to go to bed at night saying, I must love Jesus. Look at how I chose to live today. Let your life function as a barometer because that day will come and everything will be exposed. And I want that day for me and for you to be a celebration because the coming of the bridegroom was meant to be a celebration. This brings me to my final point, that there was a divide. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came along, verse 11, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Notice how uh, the name is changed. It's no longer the bridegroom, is it? 
Lord, Lord, open unto us. The parable is revealed. But Jesus answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Notice he did not say, truly I say to you, you have not done enough. Truly I say to you, you do not make the cut. You are not religious enough. You are not righteous enough. Now what he said is, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Because in the end, it's all about relationship. The relationship between Jesus Christ and us. Not my works, but his. Five women had their act together. But their act was not in their righteous works. It was in their hearts, first of all. I'm not saying that the five wise did not have righteous works and moral uprightness. Because you can judge a tree by its fruit, right? But when I look at the fruit, I don't say those are apples. I say that's an apple tree. It's what's going on inside that bears the fruit ultimately. The oil is his grace. And so the last thing I want you to do is go out from here and start living a good life. God's given me a second chance. What Christ wants from us is to bow our knee to him in a quiet room and to say, Lord, you are my Lord. See, if you go to the tomb of Jesus Christ, you will not find anyone in it. The tomb is empty. Christ is here on earth through his Holy Spirit. And at the proper time, we will see him and be able to touch him. And so the five righteous go into the banquet room and the door is shut and there is feasting and enjoyment in the presence of the bridegroom and the bride. And if we were to go into that room and ask the five righteous, was it worth it? They would say yes. It's difficult to persevere. It's difficult to wait and watch and to hope and to arrange my life and resources around that day and that God when I don't yet see him. And yet they did. But if you were to ask the five foolish who are not irreligious, they would say, open the door for me. For they're shut out from the celebration and the feasting. And they got to hear the worst words of all. I don't know you. You must decide, for this parable is meant to separate. Jesus on that day will surprise. He will expose. And he will divide. And because Jesus has been faithful, his faithfulness demands our watchfulness. Because we do not know on what day he will come, we must be ready every day. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that you sent your Son and that you will send him back. And at the sound of the trumpet, we will look and see the cleft in the sky as Jesus comes with all of his angels to gather his people together. And the wedding feast will begin as we gaze upon the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a bride dressed for his bridegroom. 
God, let us settle once and for all. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in you. Let us radically realign our priorities that we may focus on you and on your coming. May it not simply mean something. May it mean everything. Lord, let us be surprised in a wonderful way when that day comes. And may it come soon. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.